I'm going to ask everyone at all the campuses to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, as we continue our study through the book of Genesis, we come today to a pivotal chapter in the book. The first 11 chapters, we've seen creation. We've seen Adam and Eve in the fall, and we've seen the, the interaction with Cain and Abel and how that didn't turn out well for Cain. And, and, and we've seen uh, Noah, and we've seen the flood, and we've seen the Tower of Babel. Now we're going to fast forward about 300 years, and we're going to see what happens in the life of a man named Abraham. We're going to be able to follow Abraham's story, and we're going to do that for the next several chapters. We're going to see him mentioned in the New Testament many times, but today we're going to keep most of our focus in Genesis chapter 12 and just get introduced to this guy or reintroduced to this man, first named Abram, and then later on God's going to change his name to Abraham. From Abraham's story, we're going to learn what faithful obedience looks like. There are going to be five things we see in Abraham's real-life journey that we can apply, that we can bridge over these years and apply to our lives today. So look at Genesis chapter 1, chapter 12, rather, verse 1 and verse 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. So in verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, it's interesting as we first look at that, our minds would just assume that Abram was called in Haran, and he left Haran then to go to the land that God promised down into Canaan. We'll talk about that in a second. But we now have the whole counsel of Scripture, right? And the best commentary on the Bible is what? The Bible. And so now we know in through Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is giving his discourse before he's stoned, and he goes through the Jewish history we know that something a little uh, different took place. The call took place before Haran. So let's, let, me, let me read this, Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. The, glory, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he, li- before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred, and go to the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, and he lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land into which you are now living. He's speaking to the Israelites. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. So a lot packed into that part of Stephen's speech. But here's what Stephen is saying. Abraham is in the land, the country of Ur, down here by the Persian Gulf, present-day Iraq. Uh, We saw, we would see at the end of chapter 11 that Terah took his family down to the land of Ur, the Ur of the Chaldeans, and they settled there. 
So the call of God first comes in Abraham's, on Abraham's life when he is in Ur. Then they go up from Ur to Haran and they lived there for a while. We don't know how long they lived. It says they settled there. And then Terah, Abraham's father, dies. He's 205 years old. When he dies, then God uses that time of Abraham's life to say, okay, now it's time to go down to this promised land. It's going to be called Israel. It's not called Israel yet. It's, at this point, it is occupied by the Canaanites. And Abraham's going to go here and he's going to live in different areas in, in uh, the land of Canaan. And then a famine's going to hit and he's going to move down to Egypt. All right? And that's going to be kind of the chronology of where we follow Abraham in chapter 12. Everybody with me on that? All right. So Abraham gets this call from God while he is in Ur. That's the first thing we see about faithful obedience. It always begins with the call of God. We don't wake up one day and say, here's where I'm going to go after God. Here's what I'm going to do for God. God puts this call on our life. And it's important for us to think about Abraham being in Ur because Ur was a pagan place. Ur had, uh, they, 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 um, they worshiped a bunch of different gods. One was named Nanner, the, the, the moon god. And it is likely, it is most likely that Abraham was a pagan at this time. That's all he knew. He was in a pagan culture. He was living a pagan life. It wasn't that God looked at Abraham and said, oh, there's a great godly man. I want him. God put this call on Abraham's life. And he called him not only from the land of Ur, but he called him to himself. And it's not only Abraham's call to follow, but it's Abraham's call of salvation. This is when Abraham trusts in God. This is when his faith journey begins. We'll see that later on in chapter 15 and 14, and we'll see in the New Testament as well. By faith, we see in Hebrews, by faith, Abraham left Ur and started following God. The life of faithful obedience always starts with the call of God. When did God put that call on your life? What was it like? Remember that? Maybe you were a young child. Uh, maybe you were older. Maybe um, you had experienced some, some, some devastating thing in your life and God got your attention through that. Maybe, maybe it was a very successful time and, and you thought, you know, I, I've reached the pinnacle of success and I'm still as empty as I was when I was at the bottom of the ladder. God got your attention. I don't know how, but think back just for a moment. Just think back. When did God put that call on your life? That's where faith journey begins. Salvation and then our following him. First Peter says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people of God's own possession. He said, you are mine. He's got great things for you that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just like God called Abraham out of the pagan culture of Ur, so God has called us out of our pagan past, 
our sinful past, every one of us lived there, right? And He's called us into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. To call from God is always from our past. But God doesn't always tell us where he's taking us, does he? Look again at verse 1. God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I love that. You know, you've got to be thinking Abraham was saying, can't you tell me? Give me a hint. Let me know where I'm going. God says, no, you got some stuff you got to leave behind. But I'll show you where to go. Can you trust me? Some of you are on that journey, aren't you? God's taking you some places you don't know where he's taking you. God's doing some things in your life, and, and you know where you've been, but you don't know exactly where you're going. And you're in some uncomfortable territory. But God's saying, trust me. Just trust me. I, I, I brought you out of the darkness. You trusted me for that. I'm going to take you to heaven. You can trust me for that. Now, if I can take you out of the darkness and I'm going to deliver you to heaven, you got to trust me with the journey along the way. That's not always easy, is it? But in this story, we see that's where it starts. It's the call. God says, I'm going to take you to a great place, but I'm not going to tell you always where it's going to be. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. Here we have the, the outline of the Abrahamic covenant. God's going to make it formal in chapter 15. But here we have the promises. So we have three promises, a statement, Abraham, of who you're going to be, and then three statements after that. Let's, let's look at these. Abrahamic covenant. Again, going to be formalized later, but here's the, here's the outline of it. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, there was a problem with this because Abraham and his wife Sarah couldn't have children at this point. But God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. That's my promise to you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name Great. Remember the people in the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves. God says, when, when God calls us, he says, if I want your name to be great, I'll make it great. You depend on me. Then, going to do that so that, here's the reason, you're going to be a blessing. That's the statement. You, Abraham, you will be a blessing. So the promises, great nation. I'm going to bless you personally. I'm going to make your name great. And then you're going to be a blessing. And then here are three statements after that in, in chapter 12, verse 3. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to dishonor those. Those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, in you, in your seed, in your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Every family of the earth will be be blessed. That's quite a promise, isn't it? And there are a couple things there. This is going to be the nation of what? Israel. And in that statement, that's why we always want to be a friend of Israel. God's statement still stands. 
That doesn't mean we agree with everything Israel does as a country, politically. In Genesis 12, that's why you even see politicians today saying, we want to be a friend of Israel. God says, going to bless those who bless you. Then in that statement, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, it's interesting that Abraham is named as the father of Judaism, the father of Christianity, and the father of what else? Islam. And so some people would say, well, yeah, that's how all the nations of the world will be blessed. No, it's not. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of the person who comes through the nation of Israel, and his name is Jesus Christ. And through him, the world will be blessed. Abraham, through your seed, through your descendants, through your lineage, all those in the world will be blessed. It's a great promise. Now, God didn't give us the Abrahamic covenant. But when he called us to himself, he entered into a covenant relationship with us. And he told us, you're going to be a blessing to other people, every one of you. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 5, you're, remember, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. And when you have this light, you don't put it under a bushel. In fact, people, people are going to see your good work. People are going to see me working through you. People are going to see your good works. And I'm going to get the glory for it. When we hear the call of God, when we have that call of God in our life, again, we don't have the Abrahamic covenant, but we have a covenant with God, a salvation covenant, and we can be a blessing to others and should be a blessing to others. Here's the second thing we see in this passage. God calls Abraham, and Abraham what? He obeys. He, he, he obeys what God has. Now, we don't know how God appeared to him. Remember, Stephen says the God of glory appeared to Abraham. So it would have been a magnificent appearance. Abraham is a pagan. He's not even thinking about God. But this living God, we don't get the whole story, but he somehow appears to Abraham in a way that has his attention and says, I'm going to follow you even when you take me to a place I don't know exactly where that is yet. He obeys the call. Look at verse 4. So Abraham, so he leaves Ur, he goes up to Haran, he stays there until his father dies, and then verse 4, Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed Haran. We don't know how long he stayed there, so don't know how old he was when he left Ur. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak uh, of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, what is the land of Canaan? What's it going to be? It's going to be Israel, right? It's the promised land. So God is taking Abraham into the promised land. As Stephen tells us, 
He doesn't let him settle there yet, but he allows this great patriarch to go into the land of Canaan. Abraham obeys the call. He was settled in Ur, and he takes off and goes to Haran. He's settled in Haran, and he takes off and he goes to Ur. Now, just think about that for a second. When God calls us to do something, a lot of times we have excuses, right? Abraham had a bucket full of excuses he could have used. The call from Ur was significant. Abraham had settled there. He's up in years. His family is there. His security is there. He has everything in Ur he would need, and yet he leaves. He could have said, God, you know, my, my security's here. But security is never an excuse to not follow God, is it? The destination was uncertain. Okay, God, I'm going to leave all my stuff, and I want to know where I'm going. And God says, I'll show you. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? Some of you in here are fact finders. You don't walk across the room unless you know exactly what you're going to find when you walk across the room. That's not, that is not always the recipe for obedient faith. God says, one step at a time, I'll show you when I want to show you. What I really want to know is, are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to obey me? Because I got great things for you. I'm going to take you to heaven, by the way. Do you believe that? So I'm probably going to have some good stuff for you along the way. Can you trust me? Abraham was not a young man, right? We don't know how old he was in, in Ur. We know that he was 75 when he left Haran, so he could have said, oh, my goodness, Lord, I'm, I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'm by the Persian Gulf, and I'm just going to go down there and put my feet in the water and sit on the dock of the bay and watch the tide roll away, <laughs> waste some time. That's a, that's a great song, isn't it? That's a great song. Age is never an excuse, is it? You can't be too young or too old when God calls you. The things God was promising him, wasn't, they were impossible. I'm going to make you a great nation, but, but God, we don't even have one baby. Okay. Can you trust me? They'll struggle with that for a while. We'll see that. Abraham got settled in in Haran, has all these possessions, Terah dies. God said, time to go again. And there's another thing about this land that God takes him to. Look at the end of verse 6. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Remember the Canaanites, Ham's descendants, never got along with Israel. The enemy's in the land. You want me to go down there? Yep, that's where I want you to go. What excuse are you using not to do what God's calling you to do? Say, I don't know what he's calling you to do. Only you know that. And only you know the excuses that you're using. But when God calls us to do something, we got to lose the excuses or we're going to miss out on some tremendous things that he has for us. 
detriment. You're not going to lose your salvation. You just get to lose a lot of blessings. Third thing, life of faithful obedience acknowledges the person of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. And so he built, Abraham built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. But the Canaanites are here, Lord. No, just hang on. I'm going to give you this land to your offspring. But I don't have any offspring, Lord. (laughs) Don't worry about it. I'll take care of that. Give me some time. So he built an altar to the Lord. What does that demonstrate about Abraham? was trusting God, even when, he could, even when it didn't make sense. He builds this altar. And then verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. By the way, there, are all, there were a lot of altars in the land of uh, the Canaanites. But Abraham, he wasn't going to use used altars. So he builds his own altar. There he makes sacrifices. There he calls on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord means um, the name of the Lord represents God's person. So he is calling on God's attributes. God, you are all powerful. So I am trusting you with this. I am honoring you with this. God, you are omniscient. And so I am honoring you with this. I don't know exactly what you're going to do, but you do. God, your presence is with me all the time. Even when you tell me to go to these different places, I'm never alone. I never have to go by myself. God, you are all powerful. You're going to accomplish. I don't know how you're going to take my offspring and make a great nation out of me. I don't know how you're going to give this land to me. The Canaanites are there. But I trust you in that. I don't know where you're taking me, but I trust you. I'm going to call on your name of forgiveness. I'm going to call on your name of mercy. I'm calling your name of grace. I place my life in your hands. Abraham continues to worship wherever he goes. Are you a worshiper? A worshiper is not someone who shows up. And by the way, there are going to be a lot of people showing up an hour from now. And that's going to be funny, isn't it? But don't laugh when they walk in. You are here. Let's just talk to you here. You're here, and God has given you some great things to do, and he wants you to worship him all the time, not just on a Sunday morning when you show up. That's not, that's not, that's worship. It's just a part of it. Worship is worshiping God with all of our lives. Worship is is, is, is honoring God even when we don't understand where he's taking us. And we see Abraham, and he takes the time to worship. So he gets the call, he obeys the call, and he acknowledges God, even when he doesn't understand it all. So Nate Edwards is our uh, campus pastor and young adults pastor, a great guy, doing a great job. College kids here on spring break, if you're here, you gotta meet, you got to meet up with him. So when Nate asked Jacqueline's father for her hand in marriage, uh, they lived in Dallas at the time, and and all their family uh, was in Dallas, Jacqueline's was. And so Nate asked 
uh, Jacqueline's dad for her hand, and he said, yeah, I'll, that's fine. And he said, it'd be really nice. I'd really like for you, if you just would, just to live within four hours of Dallas, okay? Because we want to know our grandkids. We want to see our grandkids. So they were in Dallas for seven years. Then they got the call to come here. So Nate uh, <laughs> went over to Jacqueline's dad house, dad's house and said, hey, we're going to Pittsburgh. I want you to know it's a three-hour flight. That's all it is. <laughs> so you get the call. You obey the call. You worship and honor God along the way. Number four, faithful obedience never stops. Look at verse uh, 9. And Abraham and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. I'm not going to take the time to go through this one. But just read through that passage and you get verbs like he went, he kept going, he passed through, he moved on from there, he set out. You see, uh, this life of faith doesn't settle. And every time, isn't it amazing? Every time Abraham gets settled, God said, okay, time to go. We did a study here a, a few years ago called the Reveal Study. And it was a great study. Actually, we were one of many churches, over a thousand churches did it, and about uh, 250,000 believers were surveyed in the study. And they came up with these three areas, kind of where people, believers, where people are. They're either, they're either growing in Christ, that's kind of the beginning, they're close to Christ, or they're Christ-centered. Those were kind of the three categories. Some of you remember doing that study. But in their research, they also found that anywhere you might be in, in one of these areas, you might be growing in Christ, you may be just getting started, you may be close to Christ, you may be Christ-centered. Here's what they found. Their research revealed that 92% of those surveyed reported having experienced being stalled. That was the word, stalled, at some point in their Christian journey. So most of us here, I know I have, just come to a place where you just kind of feel stalled. Anyone relate to that? This stalled. That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? And whatever you got to do to get unstalled, you got to do it. You know what you need to do. If you don't, give us a call. We'll help you. But being stalled is a dangerous place. Uh, think about it. Think about a car stalled on a busy highway. That's a danger to other cars. You can't get out. You get hit. What do you do? And the same danger of a Christian who's stalled. So you've got to get in the Word. You've got to read the Word on a daily basis. You can't get unstalled without God's Word, period, the end. And I know there are a lot of excuses for not reading God's Word. You've got to be a worshiper, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day of your life, honoring God. You've got to be connected with other believers. You can't do this thing alone. You're going to be stalled if you try to do it alone. You need to be using your gifts. God's given you these gifts, and a lot of people don't use them. Well, guess what? You're going to be stalled. And you've got to be telling others about Jesus, sharing the message of Christ. We've got the greatest message in all the world, and we'd rather talk about politics. 
we got the greatest message in all the world, and I'd rather talk about sports. We've got to share the message of Christ. We can't be those who are stalled. Dangerous place to be. A life of, a life of faithful obedience is on the move. God has something for us to do. So Abraham's chosen by God. He obeys the call. He's worshiping God. Great things are he's on the move, but he is far from perfect. And when we look at the last verses of chapter 12, some interesting things happen. There's a famine. So he's moving around in the Canaan area. And there's a famine in the area of Canaan. So he goes down to Egypt. He goes south to Egypt. Even when it didn't rain in that area, Egypt had the Nile River and some other ways to irrigate their land, so they usually had crops going on. So he goes to Egypt. But remember the story? His wife, Sarai, is beautiful. She's 65 years old and beautiful. And he says, when I go into the land of the Egyptians, I know about those guys. They're going to take her for one of their own, and they're going to kill me. So here's a guy who has this great trust. What's amazing, isn't it? A life of faith. One day, you can be following God all out, and the next day, you're kind of cowering over in a corner saying, yeah, God, I don't know if this is going to work. So Abraham tells his wife, just tell them you're my sister, and they won't kill me. And so they go in, and the word gets out. That's his sister. The Egyptians say, she is beautiful. And they take her. I mean, Abram knew they could take her. He, powerful pharaohs and, and rulers took any woman they wanted. And so she is now in Pharaoh's group. And Pharaoh gives Abraham a lot of stuff. Look at, uh, look at verse um, 16. And for her sake, he, the Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So he gets blessed. Now, first you guys think, time out. Abraham's lying, being deceitful, and God's blessing him. Does God do that? Okay, just hang on to that for a second, okay? Finally... Verse 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And so they take Abram and Lot and Sarai and all their possessions, and they take them to the border, and they say, get out of here. They get to go. In one sense, let's think about what God does here. In one sense, God overruled Abraham's decision and used the Egyptians to, to resource him. He uses the Egyptians' resources to, to make Abraham a wealthy person, right? So that's one thing God does. God overrules Abraham's deceit, and he gives him all these possessions, but sin always has consequences, doesn't it? Money does some crazy stuff with families, does it not? And so now with all these possessions as they leave in the chapters coming up, we're going to see that 
Lot, his nephew, his herdsman, and Abraham's herdsman. They have all this tension together because they have so much stuff, they can't even, you know, do their herds in the same pastures. And so they split. So it splits Lot from Abraham, and we're going to see that was not a good situation from Lot. Remember, he pitched his tents near where? Sodom. Also, we see in that, that when he is in Egypt, he gets all these servants, right? One of those servants is an Egyptian who becomes Sarai's handmaid named who? Hagar. And it's Hagar who Sarai says, I don't think God's going to bless me with a child. So Abraham, you take Hagar and you have a child by her. And she has a child named who? Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes the prophet and the ancestor of who? Muhammad, who is the father of Islam. You see, what appears to be a great blessing with all this stuff, sin still has consequences. But here's what I want us to see through this last one. A life of obedient faith forges on through failure. Abraham blew it. He lied, deceit. He, he, put, he put Sarai at risk. She's part of the covenant. The nation's going to come through her. And he puts her at risk. He puts God's covenant at risk. But God still uses him in a powerful way. And there may be some of you here today and you've been, you were following God and you were doing some great things and then you fell and you fell hard. I just want you to know God still will and wants to use you. Forge, God pushes us and forges us through failure. Can God use a broken person? Absolutely. If he doesn't, he ain't got no one on his team. I should say that a little differently. He has no person on his team. He uses broken people. He uses us even in our failure. And he desires to use. So failure is only fatal if you allow it to be. Because it's not with God. Now, if you want to stay in your brokenness and your failure and just meander there, that's when it becomes fatal. But God has great things for you. Don't be stalled in your failure.